You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Here's Beckham looking to throw. Wide open. It's Barkley. Inside the 20. Still going. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Uh, how's it going, Grump? This is uh, this has been one of the craziest weeks we've had in the sports world, especially if you starting with this local New York area and into obviously a national international story. Where this episode may not necessarily be the Just Giants, but just just sports and just life podcast because there's a lot to unpack and kind of let it blah. Yeah. Well, in in the course of less than a week, it's it's felt like a, a whole year of sports news kind of went by. Um, but most recently, um, I happened to log into Twitter about three minutes, just happenstance, after the news broke that uh, Kobe Bryant's helicopter went down with him and his daughter inside. And uh, yeah, let, let's set this up. Uh, we are recording this right now on Monday evening, about a little after 8 PM Eastern time. So we are about, we are about 30 hours, you know, since that accident happened. So is it the immediacy and the shock is kind of wearing down from, you know, us obviously, and for everybody. So that's kind of where we are right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's really is shock. I mean, he's a, you know, the Cranky Fan and I are different ages. So for me, Kobe Bryant was um, a very large part of my youth. Um, I'm not much of a basketball watching fan, but when I was a kid playing it, I, I had a lot of fun. And um, I'm not going to lie to you and say Kobe was like my big hero or anything like that, but everybody knew who Kobe was. He was he was our generation's Jordan in a, in a lot of ways. Um yeah, that's. A, I think if you are, it's not a comparison. Say, it was he was he was the best player in the league in my youth. He was after Jordan Iverson kind of fizzled out very quickly, um, and before LeBron, so he was just that gap in between. However, yeah. you describe that as better or worse is irrelevant to me. Um, but I mean, there's a whole generation of kids. Every time you went to throw a paper ball in the garbage, you yelled Kobe and hoped yeah. that you got it in. I mean, it was a literal household name. I would say from anybody who's 25 to 35, Kobe is your guy as far. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily you love Kobe. You love the Lakers. You know, he was a very, very polarizing guy, whether you loved him or hated him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, after Jordan, they tried so hard. And I'm, everybody knows who follows me on Twitter at the Cranky Fan knows that. I am a big NBA person as well. College basketball, you know, my passion for the Gators. But NBA is probably next to the NFL, the league that I follow the most closely. And I have been for 40 years. But, you know, after Jordan retired, there was really a push by the NBA who was going to be the next Jordan. You know, they tried with Grant Hill. They tried with Iverson. They tried with, you know, you name it. Um, uh, Vince Carter. All of these guys were kind of thought of as the next Jordan. And then Kobe was the perfect time and place because there was he was the first 
actually he was the second guy to come right out of high school. Right. Kevin Garnett was first. He came out the next year. Um, and it was, you know, he was drafted by Charlotte. You all know the story by now and got traded on, on draft night to the Lakers. And, you know, for 20 years with the Lakers and, you know, we all know, you know we're not going to rehash his career and everything because we, we've heard it a thousand times in the last 30 hours. But, you know, he was a guy that if, you know, he was a dick to teammates, to opposing teammates because he was so singularly focused on winning that, you know, it turned a lot of people off. It turned a lot of fans off. And, you know, I know it's the elephant in the room, but the whole rape allegation for him really – if this would have happened in today's day and age, would have been a completely different narrative on Kobe Bryant. But this is before Me Too. You know, no charges ever were actually were filed. They settled. And it was really in the first third of his career. I was kind of thinking back, when did that actually happen? But it was 2004, I think. That's a long – 03, I think. Yeah, that's a long, long time ago. So, you know, enough time has passed where his rehabilitation of his image, you know, it took long enough. And, you know, in this country, other than OJ, everybody gets a second chance. So, you know, but it's very interesting. He's not alone in that either. I mean, you don't even have to be a legend for that to happen. I mean, people wash away some Janikowski, some Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, yeah. But um, he was definitely, you know, he was a larger than life person, you know, just, you know, I have Knicks season tickets, you know, when the Knicks, when the Lakers come to town, they're, they're a bandwagon fan team to begin with, but there was something about him, you know, it's watching Kobe play and, you know, he modeled his game so much after Jordan too, that, you know, who I think, you know, I still think he's the best player of all time. I think he's still the most exciting player. And to model his game after that made him exciting as well. You know, we, there'll be endless debates, you know, in these, my generation, Grump's generation, generations after, you know, is it Jordan, Kobe, or LeBron is the best ever? And both have their points, but uh, he's right there. But that all doesn't really matter. When, when something like what happened yesterday happens, it's just one of those it's one of those jarring things that no matter you know what you're doing and no matter how important you think it is and like whether it's work or issues with traffic or you know whatever that it can all end immediately and it's all meaningless mm-hmm. that you think is important so it's just kind of you know hug your wife and hug your girlfriend hug your hug your uh hug your cousin grump you know because <laughs> it, it it's really it's 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 very fleeting, and you know, it, I don't know. It's just uh, you know, it's one of those you know, things. It's it's, it's yeah. just so strange because it is so sudden. You know what I mean? Even yeah. before he went down, thirty minutes before he went down, everything was fine. You know what I mean? And well, uh, to see a very young guy who, um, and it's very ironic. We were, you know, to give a little backstory. Um, I was in Philadelphia this weekend. I went down with a friend of mine to the Palestra and I saw a big five um, basketball game. One of my, uh, one of my bucket list items was to go to the Palestra. And what was interesting about it was, you know, they have in Philadelphia, they have like this wall of fame, you know, it talks all about the big five teams, the temple, St. Joe's, all et cetera, et cetera, all the great guys teams have played there. And one of the walls was about Kobe Bryant. Hmm. Now Kobe, you know, 
obviously didn't go to college, but he's from the Philadelphia area. He went to Lower Marion High School. So, you know, it was like, oh, look, there's Kobe. His dad, Jellybean Bryant, played, I think it was for St. Joe's and is in the Big Five Hall of Fame. And then obviously Saturday night was the night that LeBron passed Kobe, you know, for um, third all-time score in the NBA. So Kobe was kind of all around this weekend <laughs> even before this happened. And this is the honest truth. I was on a text chain we were talking about the NBA and we were talking about Kobe and something, something about, you know, Kobe did this or whatever. The next text was, he just died. <laughs> like what? I just got a, a tweet from TMZ that said he died. And as everybody knows, you know, there's three certain things in life, death taxes and a TMZ tweet that they're all true. <laughs> They're all, and it was really just like, oh my God, if TMZ saying it, that must be the case. And you know, to to see how this all all unfolded in real time was, you know, now that we're a little past the initial shock and emotion of it, it's just like, it's amazing where this country and this society is right now because everybody had the exact same emotions at the same time in real time. This can't be true. This is bullshit. This is a hoax. Oh my God, I really hope this isn't true. Does anybody have the real information? It's really true. I can't believe this. I don't want this to be true. Like everybody in real time was thinking the same things in the same sequence. And, you know, you know, there's a lot of bad things about social media that are out there, but one of the good things is you almost kind of feel like you're not alone in yeah. having emotions for things like this. So you're kind of in the collective of everybody that you follow and everybody that, you know, that are your online quote unquote friends. Um, but what's happening now. I, I'm not to, actually his friend. I just, you know, we're friends oh, online, but we're not really friends. That's why it's quote oh, me, unquote. Oh, me and you? Yeah. <laughs> we're just related. We're not really friends, but just yeah. online. <laughs> Obligation. <laughs> yeah. But what's, you know, what happens with something like this, it's something that happens in every major story. It happened at nine 11. I'm sh you know, it probably happened when Kennedy was assassinated is that it goes from raw emotion and general feels of emotion to hyperbole and over the topness, you know, all of a sudden it's become like, you know, I saw in Fox sports today, this is this generation's nine 11. I mean, come on now, stop. You know, this is a horrible event that happened, but, Everybody has to claim something as their own and has to be one-upping everybody else. It's almost as bad as trying to get the story first without getting it right. So it just also happened. <laughs> it was also happened and you know even TMZ caught a lot of shit because you know they were releasing the story before the next of kins were you know were notified of this. And you know if we are going to be rambling a little bit so be it. You'll have to just have to deal with this guys. You know, we don't edit this show hardly at all anyway, but this is going to be kind of a, a stream of conscious thing. So bear with us as we talk. But, you know, it just kind of got a little over the top. And now you're going to see, you know, after the initial shows of emotion and support for it, now it all of a sudden becomes like what city and what team can you go over the top and one up the last one to show how much they are behind Kobe and all this stuff. And I just – I just caution people out there, keep your emotions and your thoughts genuine. Don't feel you have to one-up people 
just to, you know, Instagram your life. It's just, if, you know, you really are impacted by Kobe, that's one thing, but don't make it a spectacle of yourself. That's all I ask for people. Yeah, I mean, this generation's 9-11 is the most absurd thing I think I've ever heard. 9-11 was a, an experience all on its own. It's a moment of the century of a big moment in the history of this country in in the 300 years. It was it was our generation's Pearl Harbor 9/11. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, we are talking, you know, this was an accident where you know, nine people yes, but also lost their lives. in a in a way an inevitability for Kobe anyway. I mean, Kobe Bryant is going to die eventually. It's shocking that it happened so young and in an accidental fashion. But 9-11 was not an inevitability. Those The buildings do not have to fall by way well, of explosion. Do you know what I mean? Like th- th- well, the, that, that was – they're not even remotely comparable and it's like – it's almost offensive that it was being compared. Yeah, but you know that's – I mean that happens though because everybody tries to one-up each other and we're living in a world of cliques still and, and you know people – it's hard to harness your emotions sometimes too. You know you're just kind of like – People say and do things like I saw something where some reporter accidentally combined the words for Lakers and Knicks. Oh, yeah, and, it's, and, and all of a sudden they want this they want this woman's head on a platter because it sounded like the N word. And it's just like everybody take a moment and calm down, please. You know, this is this was a horrible thing, but it just, you know, the the best in people and the worst in people come out in these things right now. And it's just, you know. These aren't easy things to get through, but we're going to get through them, you know. And again, whether you liked Kobe or disliked him, or he impacted your life or not, you know, it's it's a sad event that happened. But let's you know, let's not make yourself the story, you know. Yeah, if anything, I would say this is closer to this generation's Cobain or something. Yeah, I mean that that's a pretty good one. I mean, I was thinking for all you. Yankee fans that listen to the show um, remember when Thurman Munson passed away. Hmm. Uh, August of 1979, he used to take plane lessons, and on his day off, he crashed outside of Canton, Ohio, and he passed away. That was more shocking, you know, at the time. Obviously, I was six years old, and it was one of those. That was the first time that, you know, the first year I was really following baseball, you know, it was my first real touch with mortality. I think my grandmother died a year later, but I, I didn't know anybody who had died. And, you know, in channel 11 cut into this story about him passing away. And, and it was just one of those, you know, it's nobody I knew. I mean, I didn't know Thurman Munson, never talked to him, never saw him, but you know, these guys become a part of your life and it's, it's very sad, but you're right. You know, that's it, it, Kurt, Kurt Cobain's another one too. It's just someone, it's a part of your life, you know, in a way that, that, touches and impacts you it's it happens yeah, I mean, like that the way i see it is a you know re- had a had a big reach across uh, the nation and, and to a certain extent the world um you know he died very suddenly very young and um he, i mean that that's really my comparisons <laughs> he is yeah. now crowned a legend i don't know if he was really considered legendary at the time oh, absolutely Kirk Cobain? Yeah. At the time of his death, I mean, I know he was—he was more current. I mean, Kobe's retired, so I mean, it's a little. Yeah, but, but there's something about when you cross that threshold from just 
great athlete to icon, you're never really retired. That's you know true. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there are great athletes who aren't icons, and then you know you hear, you know, maybe when they're in their early 50s, they passed away of cancer or in a car wreck. You're like, oh, that's right. terrible. But it's not like, you know, the the line is really blurred for guys like Michael Jordan, sure, Muhammad Ali, uh, Arnold Palmer, Kobe Bryant. And, you know, LeBron James will be the same way. Sure. They, they, they managed to stay in the public, you know, zygos much longer than their playing careers. And Kobe was absolutely one of those type of people. And even and, and, and musicians and actors are the same way, too. You know, uh, uh, you know, Keith Ledger. I don't know. Well, well, he died. I'm talking about people, even though they're not. I'm talking about people that are not really relevant as an actor or a musician anymore, or still, they are icons and they're just as important if not doing their craft. But yeah, Heath Ledger is a, is a good comparison of like Thurman Munson. Yeah. Where it's just you know. Well, it's a little different like, because you know there there aren't any too many actors who stop working. You know, even as they get older. I'm like trying to think of like a legendary actor that like just does appearances now or whatever. And I kind of can't, I mean like even Robert De Niro shit, man, the guy still well, works. Tom Hanks still is works, still working. But, but someone like right before he died, like Burt Reynolds, like he oh, really okay. was, he really wasn't in anything anymore. Like for the final 10, 15 years of his career. That's true. Uh, Marlon Brando before he died, you know, he didn't do anything really anymore. Uh, Jane Fonda, people like that. They're just kind of, they just, she be, did. She's still alive. I'm not yeah, saying she's, she's still, still okay, she's okay. still she's still alive, but you know she's not really a working actress anymore. But she's still Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm. So I mean, when you hit that certain level of just fame and just cultural significance, you know these things are, uh, and just the suddenness of it. And then obviously, of course, the fact that his daughter and yeah. you know other you know kids are on that thing also just makes it so so terrible too. A couple of things, you know, how people are reacting to the Kobe thing. I think this is something relevant that kind of goes – will segue into the Eli discussion. The Dallas Mavericks have announced that they are retiring both of Kobe's numbers. <laughs> and that is something that kind of struck a nerve with me and not in a positive way because I believe – I believe that – Grump put a tweet out last week about retiring numbers and knowing well, because, that. I yeah, yeah. So, so to, to kind of keep this yeah, in the washing machine uh, cycling yeah. around, it's already been announced that Eli Manning's number will be retired from. No one else will wear number ten. And that is announced. That's a fact. It's not. It's not right. a rumor or anything like that. So, you know, I, personally. I think it's a little early for that discussion, but I don't have like a big problem with it. But I know you have a very strict uh, guideline for retiring numbers. So I was kind of curious yeah. what your initial reaction to that was. And then now all of a sudden we're retiring two numbers on a team you never played for is, is bizarre. Well, that's where we get into that. I'm going to one up and, you know, it's it's recency bias and it's just, you know, you have to feel that you have to be involved as part of the story. Now, this is not an unprecedented move. For some reason, the Miami Heat retired Michael Jordan's number when when Jordan retired, which, you know, when you think of what kind of competitors Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant were, 
that almost goes completely against what they believe in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of like, I want to rip your heart out. I don't want to beat you. I want to destroy you. And the fact that, you know, you can play, pay tribute to somebody in any sort of way possible, but retiring numbers says, you know, you are more important to my team than, you know, Dirk Nowitzki was or Mark Aguirre was or, or whoever, you know, all-time great Maverick was. So I mean, I, I, that's one of those examples of being over the top. Now, I've also heard something – I'm going to get back to Eli in a second. But somebody said that nobody should wear 24 or 8 ever again in the NBA. And I think that is a, a bit over the top as well. The NBA – I'm sorry. Major League Baseball retired 42 – for Jackie Robinson. Right. I was going to ask that next. I, I was pretty sure. Jackie, that was right. Jackie Robinson's number was not retired because he was an MVP, because he was a rookie of the year, because he was a great baseball player. Jackie Robinson. He did something that he, transcended baseball. He, he did something that transcended society mm-hmm. and did as much for, you know, trying to get as much racial equality in this country as ever happened. You know, the, all the shit he had to go through. And, you know, really for the rest of his life because of it or something. That's someone that a number should be retired across your sport. I mean, even there's talk about retiring Roberto Clemente's number across the sport as someone of, you know, well, he's the the best Latin player ever. And he died because he was in the um, on a uh, uh, a mission to Puerto Rico to um, for relief after a hurricane. I don't think he should have his number retired. I mean, it's very unfortunate and sad he passed away because of that, but that's not as transcendent as this. This is a very this is a sad thing that happened. Again, it's a terrible tragedy, but you know he's not it's that's just not the same thing. It's a little bit apples and oranges. And I just you know, I know these you know, you're trying to do what you think is right, and you're, again, this is it just happened, but Let's try to let's try to make why we did some things important more important and keep their importance. Let's remember how important the Jackie Robinson thing is. And I'm not saying that Kobe isn't important, but that move to retire his number was something that was a huge statement and shouldn't be diluted because a popular player, an all-time great, happened to pass away in an accident. Right. Um Eli didn't die though. Eli no. did not die. So no. to get back to go back to your you know question about his number should be retired. I have no problem retiring his number the second he doesn't play anymore. Okay. I, I mean I have very strict you know the Yankees. Well, have, well the Yankees. I'm, I'm going to go to the Yankees because we're, talk, we're talking about Jeter too. This is kind of like a, a, a try. A tri-pointed conversation all night tonight, but this Yankees, this is what happens when the Pro Bowl sucks. <laughs> Well, I'm going to get to that in a minute too. I have have an absolute fart to talk about the Pro Bowl before. But, um, you know, the Yankees have a tiered system of how they honor people. Mm, They do. It it is sort of like a milestone thing. They have a number retire, a plaque, a monument. And, you know, based upon your level of greatness is what you actually get. Um, in football, you know, we kind of have two things now. We kind of have the ring of honor in a lot of stadiums, and we have the number retired. 
it seems like the Giants celebrate the Ring of Honor more than they actually do the number retirement. Because if you'll notice, there are no numbers that are retired showing anywhere in MetLife Stadium. Well, and it's kind of and and quite honestly. I don't know whose numbers are retired by the Giants. I know okay. Sims retired. I know Taylor's retired. I'm pretty sure Frank Gifford's retired. Yeah. Eli is. But I don't know who else is. But mm-hmm. I do it's in the Ring of Honor just by looking up at the walls. Herman Munson's number was retired the night after he died. And, you know, and uh, Drazen Petrovic for the Nets, his number three was retired when he passed away in the car accident. So – there's different things to memorialize somebody as opposed to, you know, I'm honoring this person. I mean, Eli Manning is a top three New York Giant of all time. There's no doubt his number should be retired. And if it's going to be retired, why waste time? This isn't the Hall of Fame. There's no five-year wait period to be inducted. You know, it's – no one's going to wear it again. So be it. So there's actually quite a few numbers, but before I lift them, list them off, I'm just going to say that there's there's a specific reason why in the NFL in general numbers aren't retired like they are in baseball. And it's because numbers mean something in this sport. They have, have to a wear, di- what's you up? Have to wear a specific, you have to wear a specific number based on your position. Position, yeah. There, there's a direct correlation, and there's certain things you can and can't do with certain numbers. And, That's correct. And it, most importantly, is being an eligible receiver. Um, if you do not have the correct number, you need to tell the referee that you're reporting as eligible when entering for each play. And if the play is over and you're staying out there, you have to re-report as eligible. So there, there is a reason for that. So if you go off and retire all your, you know, number eighties, well, now you have no fucking eligible receiver numbers. I mean, it's, right? It's, there, there is. But, uh, you, I mean, the NFL is changing. It's going to be a little bit more like college, where receivers now are like in this. Either, you know, the 13s and 15s or, you know, quarterbacks are getting to single numbers. So there's a little loosening of the standard receivers or 80 running backs or it, it does change every couple of years. They make little tweaks here and there. But I, but I am – it is important. It is not – and generally sure. you'll see across, you know, the leagues that numbers are not retired the same way between um, the NFL and MLB. Certainly – I mean right. I think the Yankees might have more retired numbers than any – football teams combined, but well, there's a them, couple. Them and the Boston Celtics. The Celtics have a million retired numbers as well. And that met, used to mean something too because up until about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you could not have a uniform number that was higher than five. It couldn't be 16 above and it couldn't have been 16, 17, 26, 27. Do you know why that is, Grump? I don't know why. Because when a ref, when they call a foul – they always use the hand signals of what number it was. So if it's a a foul on number 14, they will wave left hand will be a one. The right hand will be a four. And back then you couldn't, you know, they just didn't have allow it because you would be having like, you know, if your number was 66, you'd be waving gang signs for 15 minutes just to say who the foul was on. They finally did relax it after a while. But um, well, I mean that's that, an antiquated system if I ever heard of one. Well, yeah, I, I mean I remember. I mean some of you people listening remember when there used to be fouls called. They used to have these paddles. Mm-hmm. The official scorer would would wave two different paddles. It would say P uh, P three T two to say 
player foul three, team mm-hmm. foul two. I mean, they, they've gotten rid of that too. But yeah, I mean, these are rules. And that gets a bigger thing also that's a bigger discussion going about rules and instant replay. If rules change because the times change, you know, there is no longer a need to have paddles to say what the foul was. So there's no reason to have that rule about what your number is. You know, instant replay allows for different ways for games to be called so rules can change. So this isn't the Constitution where, you know, you need an amendment to the Constitution to change a law or a rule. The rules can be changed with the times. So there's there's a number of actually interesting things in here about Giants retired numbers. Ray Flaherty, who wore number one, uh, his number was retired in 1935, and it was the first number to be retired by any team in Major League Sports. So holy shit for tying everything right back together. That's pretty crazy. That's um, interesting. There, there's a couple of numbers here. Tuffy Lehman's is number four. Mel Hine, number seven. Eli Manning, number 10. Phil Simms, 11. Ward Cuff uh, was 14. His number was retired in 1946. Y.A. Tittle came over in 1961 and requested 14, and then they retired it again for Y.A. Tittle in 65, which is nuts. Frank Gifford and the one I was thinking of, Al Bozis, who played from 42 to 45, uh, he was killed in World War II, and they retired his number in 45. Uh, Joe Morrison, Charlie Connerly, Ken Strong, and Lawrence Taylor are all the retired numbers for the New York Giants. And that's interesting because I bet you if you ask the average Giant fan who goes to every game, A, name them all, they couldn't, and B, what position did 70% of those players play they wouldn't know? Yeah, I mean, I think we, I'm not surprised by a lot of these. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know Ray Flaherty or Tuffy Lehman's, but Mel Hine, you know, Eli, Phil Sims, Wyatt Tittle, Frank Gifford. I knew Al Bozis, I just didn't know his name. So it's very interesting how some people get their number retired, but they're not on the Ring of Honor. Yeah. I mean, to me, the Most Ring of, of Honor. Most of these guys are, but. Tuffy Lehman, I don't think is. Tuffy, no, neither. I don't think Ray Flaherty is either. But I don't think he is either. So it's interesting how they. But you know, Hine is. Wyatt Tittle is. Frank Gifford is. Yeah. But. Uh, Connerly, I think, is, right? Yeah, but Jesse Armstead is on the Ring of Honor, but not his number is retired. <laughs> yeah, well, that, now you now you're doing the other way around. So, so I know it's, I'm saying like it's interesting how it's not a one to one relationship. It depends. Yeah. So. And, and you know I don't have a problem with Eli's number being retired, and this is this is coming strictly from a, a place of specific. I mean, just statistically, what he's done for the team. He he holds just about every QB record for the team. He's won two Super Bowls. He has two Super Bowl MVP, MVPs. That is yeah, more he's than not, anybody else. I mean, his not his number is not retired because of stats. His number is because of he is Giants. Be, for, yeah, I mean, just for being a good guy who has longevity, someone they counted on. You know, was a classy guy, and who won two Super Bowls. The, now, the stats. This having your number retired is not a. It's not a math formula like how maybe the Hall of Fame is. It's kind of like you just know this guy is just well, it. it comes down to it comes down to what he meant to the organization, right? Exactly. Yes. And and, and Eli was everything to this organization. And um, you know, there's no doubt yeah. in my mind. I mean, it really yeah. really 
he was the face of the franchise. He was the most valuable person on this franchise. He, you know, this they didn't have Eli Manning, you know, and they also if they don't win those two Super Bowls, in, in large part to Eli Manning, this organization is the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, irrelevant. I mean, there's really no difference for it. Um, you know, but again, I don't like. You have to be very careful at retiring numbers, just because people are popular. This isn't a popularity contest because I'm going to argue until the day I die that Carmelo Anthony's number should not be retired by the Knicks. And people of a generation younger than mine, you know, that's the generation that's kind of crosses over between Kobe and LeBron. They swear by a Carmelo Anthony and they feel his number should be in the Raptors at Madison Square Garden. And that's a purely because of the numbers he should be there. And it's absolutely, you know, if you look who's on the, on the, on the Raptors at the garden, he would stick out like a sore thumb being on there. And everybody else has been winners and just all time great icons. You mentioned Eli as being a classy guy. And I, I listened to his press conference while I was at work. Um, and, and you know, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I, I really, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I welled up with emotion. I didn't, um, but it was, it was nice, you know. And, and you know, true to what you said, it, it was a, it was a happy feeling, you know, that that, you know, he had done it. You know, he played his whole career here. Something about ending your 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 speech with, for me, it's only a giant, uh, you know, really actually made me feel kind of happy. But we didn't have to suffer through those weird years of him in a. Titans uniform or something like that. Yeah. You, know, you I mean, know, 15 years down the line when for some stupid reason I'm Google image searching him and I'm scrolling through for a good picture of him and I find a gaudy, ugly uniform on him and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Well, and, well then some asshole in 10 years is wearing a Mitchell and Ness throwback jersey of him wearing a Titans jersey and you want to punch the guy in the face. That's <laughs> We're never going to have that. I mean, the Eli retirement, you know, we had three major local and international sports stories in this past week, and they had the gamut of emotions from happy to mad to sad to shocked to upset to you know whatever. The Eli retirement story for me is just happy. Like, yeah. This was this was an inevitable, inevitable thing. We knew he was not going to be back next year. He had that last game where he played. They won. He got to you know. Be carried, basically, literally, I'm sorry, figuratively carried off the field on shoulders as the you know one last time for the hero, and you know I was not sad by one bit. It was I was honestly relieved that it ended out, it played out this way. I think that was my official tweet when he announced he retired. Was I'm glad it played out like this? Yeah, and you know what? That's really what I wanted. It's incredibly relevant to today. Where the news broke that the Chargers are reportedly just done with Philip Rivers, I don't think he's going to retire, and he really didn't have any say in the matter. And notice how an organization like the Chargers, which is pretty insignificant now, playing in, in L.A., no one cares about him, and had a cheap owner for all these times. The word gets out just like they're kind of done with him. Like if even in Indianapolis with a scumbag owner like the Ursies. They at least had you know, a proper press conference with Peyton. You know, it was kind of like a, you know, 
we have to move on, but we are going to honor you. And this was this like rather now they may still do this, San Diego, but this seems a little weak the way this is kind of played out. Yeah, it it, it sucks, man. But and but it, I will be, I will be fair. I will be fair. <laughs> this is how the Phil Sim story started as well, <laughs> when they were not bringing him back either. But they quickly, you know, he retired and it became a much bigger thing. Not to the level of Elinus, but again, also though, there's an injury wrapped up in there. There, you know. Yeah. I don't know. But it, it was just, it was. Kind of, it was kind of like a transaction wire notification that Sims wouldn't be back. And it seems that way with, uh, uh, with rivers. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, it, it's not really, I'm not sitting here trying to compare organizations. I, I could give a shit. Yeah. Um, the, the point I'm making is just how the events seem to turn out. You know, it, mm-hmm. there's nothing sad about the way Eli went. This is kind of sad for, you know, Philip rivers in, in well, the sense of, I mean, there's been so many indignities laid on the Charger fan base in the last five years that it's, you know, I really, I probably feel worse for the Charger fan than any other fan base in sports right now. You know, if you live in San Diego, your team gets ripped from you, you know, and now your quarterback who you've had as long as Eli, <laughs> it's just like, oh, we're just, we're done with him. And just the language that was used, which, now that's how you'll think of it is that initial tweet. Yeah. So, yeah, and you know, talk about a guy who was top 5 you know multiple times throughout his career even if they didn't win. I mean, it's it's not as if he was some scrub where you're kind of not sure like Andy Dalton or something like that. I mean, this no. No, this, this is the real deal. Yeah. Um he, yeah, He's one of the He's one of the Beatles of that draft class. And I use this analogy. Someone was trying to compare Eli to Brad Johnson. And they said, well, if Brad Johnson wasn't hurt, their numbers were pretty similar. He didn't have the longevity of Eli. And I was that, like, wait a minute. Isn't that one of Eli's traits? Isn't that one of the reasons yeah. why he's important? Yeah, well, that's what I said. It's like that draft class was the Beatles. And you can make an argument that Eli was the Ringo of the Beatles. But – He's still a Beatle. He's not a Backstreet Boy. You know, Brad Johnson's a Backstreet Boy. It's been a long every yeah, day. yeah. <laughs> that that one you was know, written on the back know, of a cocktail napkin. If you, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we'll come up with a better one later on on Twitter. Follow us yeah, on there geez. at, at football underscore grump. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can unfollow me now at the cranky fan after that. So. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you want to get into Jeter? We can briefly touch on this since there's some crossover there. I I, I don't care, so th- I'm letting you run with this one. Well, it's I don't care about Derek Jeter. I'm not a Yankee fan. He was not my guy. But the you know the topic which kind of transcends Jeter Yankees Hall of Fame is should he be unanimous? And you know the the one non vote. What does that mean? And I think that is kind of it kind of relates to the conversation of retired numbers and your place in history. And, you know, I have the personal feeling that because nobody in baseball history until Mariano Rivera was a unanimous vote getter for the hall of fame, then to me, nobody should. And if you're deciding that now you want people to be unanimous because one guy got in, Derek Jeter is not that guy. 
who should be first for it. And I caught a lot of shit on Twitter about that. But I'm right. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not fair and it's not right that these guys, you know, aren't unanimously in. But there is a precedence that has been set. Um, that one guy who didn't vote for Jeter, first of all, he's under no obligation or no you know, requirement that he has ever has to say who he is or why he did what he did. This is America. We vote in a closed booth. There is no public record of who voted for who. That is your right to vote to whoever you want, and it's your right to keep it your own business. So, you know, my guess is the person that kept him off their ballot did not do that because he's a Red Sox fan or he doesn't think Jeter belongs in there. I think it was purely a statement on I, – I hate to use the word sanctity of being honest because I don't think that's the right – it's not a, it's a stupid precedent that was set, so sanctity sounds like it's a pure thing, but he's maintaining what that precedent is. And if you think that precedent's stupid, I agree with you, but it is what it is. So now that kind of relates to, you know, it's recency bias. You know, right now, because Eli just retired, the announcement's made immediately. Number retired right now. You know, Kobe just happened. We're retiring his number for different teams, and we're doing all these crazy things. And it's all kind of related. It's just, That's why there's a five-year waiting period for the Baseball Hall of Fame to induct somebody in. You have to eliminate recency bias and make an evaluation without hot-headed emotion. emotion. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I don't want to like get totally wrapped up in this because I, I could care less about baseball. And I'm not really all that educated on either. So you can educate me. My understanding, if you're going to unanimously put anyone in the Hall of Fame, wouldn't he have to be the Michael Jordan of baseball to be unanimous? Is Derek well, Jeter I, really the 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 Michael Jordan of baseball? The guy that when people say baseball, the first name that comes off of their tongue is Derek Jeter? I really doubt it. Yankee fans, listen That's, to this show. Yeah. You may want to skip ahead for the next three minutes because I'm about to go off. I'll even wait two seconds before I start. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. 1,001, 1,002. Derek Jeter was never the best shortstop on his own team. He was, never the, best, he was never the best player on his own team. He was never the best shortstop on his own team? Eric, Alex Rodriguez, for, for over 10 years, he didn't play shortstop, but he was a better shortstop. He had but, a move. But that wasn't because, his whole career. All right, for a majority of his career. During the, the – the, the peak years of Derek Jeter's career, Alex Rodriguez should have been playing shortstop for that team. I'll, I'll accept that he was never the best shortstop in the league. I don't know about that. Cause... Oh, that's... Alex Rodriguez was a better fielder and was a better hitter than Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter played shortstop because he was the captain, and they made Alex Rodriguez move. But that's not my point. My point is that the Yankee media – the New York media was trying to find somebody that could be the next Joe DiMaggio, the next Mickey Mantle, in the sense that this player was a larger-than-life icon. 
someone that represented what being, quote-unquote, a Yankee is all about. Do you think they found him? And I think Derek Jeter absolutely fit that mold when he first came up. You know, young guy, good-looking guy, you know, looked the part, very good. I mean, he's – I'm going to preface this. The guy's a Hall of Famer. The guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But from the very beginning, the image that was, you know, curated – by Jeter and then by the media and then by like Yes Network, who's owned by the Yankees, crafted this thing where he they wanted someone to be that next in line of this is who, you know, I'm taking my son to say you saw Derek Jeter, you know, spoken of in in deity terms. And so that's where all of this kind of, you know, myth making thing about what Derek Jeter is, because Derek Jeter, the player, is a Hall of Famer. Derek Jeter, the player, is also Paul Molitor. Derek Jeter is not Mickey Mantle. Derek Jeter is not um, Joe DiMaggio. He's not Lou Gehrig. He's not playing-wise in that lineage down. That that player in that lineage down is Alex Rodriguez. Steroids or not. But, you know, he is he's the captain. He's the guy that, you know, for a long generation of Yankee fans, that's going to be their guy. And that's fine. I mean, that's that's Yes Network's job is to have these storylines and push these narratives because they're in the making money business and the rating business. And that's perfectly fine. But that's fine if you're in the Yankee bubble. When you're in the baseball bubble, let's compare apples to apples, not apples to oranges. Derek Jeter is, again, not Alex Rodriguez as far as what he did on the field. Steroids aside, everybody. He is not an all-time great hitter and as the level of, you know, a mantle or even a Ken Griffey Jr., someone like one of his peers or something. So for him again to be the a unanimous, let alone being the first, is just an example of a narrative, the final push of that narrative to make him that iconic mythological figure that they've been curating for 20 years. All right, Yankee fans, Yankee fans, you can come back. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay. You've answered my question. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, Hate mail can be sent at the cranky fan. Yeah. And my hate mail can be sent to football underscore grump. Don't go anywhere because later today a real episode of Just Giants will be airing for your afternoon commute. Um, Go Giants.